This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Just in time for the election, two new books have two very different takes on Justin Trudeau. We'll delve into the first one. And from the Prime Minister to his mother, I talked to Margaret Trudeau about her one-woman show, which lands in Toronto next week. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A woman believed to be the oldest ever to give birth has delivered twins this week by cesarean section. The 73-year-old woman in India was impregnated through IVF after she and her 80-year-old husband could not conceive naturally during their more than 55 years of marriage. Doctors say the surgery went well with no complications and mother and babies are healthy. I've got eight grandchildren. Eight. Eight. Yeah. Eight. That's 77-year-old Paul McCartney speaking to a group of school children in London this week. He's one of the most famous musicians, but Paul McCartney is also a regular grandfather. And he's written a new children's book about that experience called Hey Grandude. While it's a reference to one of the Beatles' best-known songs, Hey Jude, it's also the nickname given to him by one of his grandkids. The book is out this week. Are we becoming snack addicts? In the late 1970s, 40% of American adults said they didn't have any snacks during the day. By 2007, that figure was just 10%. But the challenge is that snacking is a broad term that can mean a 100-calorie apple or a 500-calorie frappuccino. And food experts say snacking on chips and sweets has a huge impact on health and obesity. An American-born actress who became a staple of Canadian television will be honoured for her theatre work when she receives the Stratford Festival's Legacy Award. Andrea Martin is best known to SCTV fans as the station manager Edith Prickley, who performed in a special from the Mellonville Public Baths. The 72-year-old performer, who is now a Canadian citizen, was born in Maine, moved to Canada in 1970, began her theatre career in Toronto in the 1972 production of Godspell, and spent a season at Stratford in 1978. She's been nominated for six Tony Awards, has won twice, and also has two Emmys. Andrea Martin will receive the Legacy Award on September 23rd. Very good calling, Jerome. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. Bye. Rusty. Bye-bye. It's late. The voice of two puppets from a popular TV show Zoomers grew up watching 
has died. Rob Coneybear voiced the beloved Rusty and Jerome from The Friendly Giant. He died in Lindsay at the age of 89. Coneybear would tell viewers part of the show's appeal was that it didn't talk down to kids. He also said the show's scripts were just one page since most of the dialogue was ad-libbed. The Friendly Giant ran from 1958 until 1985. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The writ has been dropped, the campaign is on, and two new books take an in-depth look at Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's four years in power. I'll take a feature look at both, starting with National Post columnist John Iveson's Trudeau, The Education of a Prime Minister. People sometimes forget that he was elected in uh, 2008. Obviously, once he decided to run for leader and became leader and and uh, won the the prime ministership, you know, think the perception of him of him has changed. But but it was a pretty quiet entry to politics. It was almost like he tried everything else in life other than becoming a politician. Uh, he you know he started degrees and didn't finish them. He became a teacher. Uh, he travelled. He did a whole bunch of stuff that almost to try and escape the tractor beam of politics. But it seemed to to drag him back in, and I think that he really discovered his natural role. This is this is who he was meant to be. One of the central things you say is that the prime minister's greatest strengths are also his greatest weaknesses. Uh, so, what are those, and how do they play into each other? He is intelligent, even if it's not the same kind of intelligence, perhaps, as his father. I think there's an emotional intelligence. He's also very disciplined. You know, we saw that in the boxing match. We've seen that. Uh, when he came to power, it took a little while before he made his first gaffe. But in with the intelligence and discipline, there's also spontaneity and risk-taking. He is spontaneous to the, spontaneous to the point where uh, he does things that get him into trouble. And I think the things that are keeping his staff awake at night right now are the prospect that he makes the kind of gaffes we've seen him make in the past in the middle of an election campaign. What about his famous name? How much does that play into things? I think now he's his own man and he's answering for his own mistakes over the last four years. I think that, the, that f- a far bigger factor than his name is his his, uh, his record. The bloom is off the rose, let's say. People are increasingly dubious about him. Why has that happened uh, in terms of it being a function of his personality? Well, I think there is a, a, an apparent disillusionment. I mean, it's undeniable. Even liberals wouldn't deny it. You know, and the reasons for that disillusionment are, are apparent. The, the the failure to get things done, the the propensity to play identity politics, the divisiveness. I mean, this was a guy who claimed he was going to be the great unifier, and yet he's proved to be more divisive than his, his predecessor. If you don't like things the way that he sees them, then you are unworthy and of suspect motive and should be dismissed. And I think that uh, Trudeau is going to have to course correct during this election or he's going to have a much closer race than he would otherwise have had. He talks a lot about the middle class. Obviously, he's somebody who comes from great wealth, has always had great wealth. Does he see that as in any way problematic? It surprised me that that people believe that he can identify with the middle class. Uh, I think the hypocrisy thing is much more apparent in the, you know, the Judy Wilson-Raybould affair where he proclaimed himself to be this proto-feminist and yet he was a woman who was 
the, the highest ranking indigenous person this country's ever seen, and he totally undermined her. You know, that to me uh, speaks of hypocrisy, and I think that that, uh, that will come out during the election campaign, particularly given the fact she's running against him in, in uh, Vancouver Granville. This whole thing about claiming to do politics differently, is that where he's vulnerable? To me, the lesson of the, the whole SNC thing was was not that a prime minister was removing a politician who didn't agree with him or a minister who didn't agree with him. I mean, I think that that has happened down the ages and uh, and it wouldn't have surprised me if something similar had happened with Chretien or with Stephen Harper. But it's not doing politics differently. I mean, it's doing politics the way it's always been done. And so this idea of openness and transparency and everything was going to be completely different is revealed as the nonsense that it always was. You call the book The Education of a Prime Minister. So what has his trajectory been? What has he learned? Canada is a very hard country to govern. I mean, the geography, the ethnicities, the Westminster style of government, many of his institutions were designed to resist change. And he's come along with a very activist agenda and suggested that he's going to change the world. And the, the record, looking back on it, has been disappointing. This was, a, it was an extremely broad-based, ambitious program that they, they tried to implement, partly because they, they were the third-place party and they made a lot of third-place promises. But they, got, they caught the bus, they got into power, and then suddenly they've got this massive mandate to try and implement so many promises across, because they tried to outflank the Liberals, the NDP on the left, they tried to outflank the the Conservatives on the right when it came to uh, tax cuts in the form of the, the Canada Child Credit. And the percentage of legislation introduced compared to the percentage of legislation passed is disappointing compared to previous governments. What's his biggest strength going into the election? Probably his biggest advantage is that he's not going to be judged in isolation in a campaign. He's not up against perfection here. He's in competition with Andrew Scheer and Jagmeet Singh and Elizabeth May and Maxime Bernie, none of whom are set in the world alight. It's not going to be a referendum on Justin Trudeau. It's going to be, do you want to vote for Justin? Do you want to have Justin Trudeau as your prime minister or Andrew Scheer? And even for people who are, you know, not partisans, that that's, a, I think that w- argument works for him. And what is his biggest weakness going into the campaign? I think his track record. Okay, John Iveson, thanks so much for being with us. Okay, thank you very much. That was John Iveson, author of Trudeau, The Education of a Prime Minister. Next week, I'll feature the other Trudeau tome, Aaron Wary's Promise and Peril, Justin Trudeau in Power. You know what prepares you for the mental hospital? Being the Prime Minister's wife. That's a clip from Margaret Trudeau's one-woman show, Certain Woman of an Age. It's coming to Toronto next week in the midst of the election campaign after runs in Montreal and the U.S. It's a no-holds-barred account of her marriage to then-Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau and her delayed mental illness diagnosis. We had a fun conversation. In 2006, I I became a mental health advocate. And uh, one of my dear friends, uh, Diane Alexander, who was also his producer, the playwright herself, I went down to visit her. I was doing a wee day in Chicago, and I spent the weekend with her catching up. And and by the end of it, she offered this 
this project to me. She said we could get a theater at Second City. We could do it in there. And so we did it. And, I, and, and it's still just a development. But that it was such a hit was so fun for me because every minute of doing it has just been so great. Just working with wonderful, forward-thinking women. Um, and we're a team and, and getting directed. Yay. You say that you were inspired by an American comedian who... Uh, Chris, Chris Gerhardt, he, uh, my director, Kimberly Sr., uh, had done this, had put Chris on stage just in a T-shirt and jeans on a carpet in a 300-seat uh, off-Broadway friendly little theater. And uh, he, for an hour and a half, just talked, it was called Career Suicide, and just talked about uh, his his attempt at suicide, but he made us laugh too. Well, you know, so he's on, he's at the edge of the cliff and he's, he's phoning his therapist and he's just sure that she's down on the beach in Mexico drinking pina coladas. So he, he makes it funny, but I watched it with Diane and that, that was where it all kicked off. It, it just says my work as a mental health advocate. The play isn't all about mental health. It's about life. It's about the human condition. It's about being able to laugh at yourself and get things in proportion, uh, which is, is the fun way of doing it, uh, that we're doing it. But it is somewhat about mental health, about your oh, experiences. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, Libby, I have uh, one of the constructs of the play is I hand out five envelopes to five people in the audience and their questions. Uh, and amongst the questions, uh, one whole question is, is uh, when did you first uh, know that you were bipolar? So I'm able to get in you know, sort of one app that we're doing within uh, one subject. I'm able to, to do an awful lot, including having on the screens that are behind me uh, an image, an actual brain scan of my brain. <laughs> so, and, and I show how the brain works in the most simple way, but just to make them understand there is a science behind uh, 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 our actions. It's not just, it's not hocus pocus anymore. Now the title, Certain Woman of an Age, uh, hints that you are going to be talking about being a Zoomer woman, being a woman <laughs> at your age at 70. You know what? Yes, I do. Do you know what, what I, how I do? I brag. I brag that I have 10 grandchildren and they call me Grandma Yummy. I, you know, I don't mind being 70. I, I have the fullest, most wonderful life. I, I think it's just so much fun. I, I, I feel at, in theater, of course, it's a privilege to, to act. It's a privilege to be on stage. But I, I still do a lot of public speaking as well. That's sort of my main job uh, across the country. Uh, but I'll do the play as often as I can. So what's the truth about what happened with Mick Jagger? Well, uh, gosh, um, in the play, um, I say, I, I, <laughs> I think... I don't, I'm not very polite about him. I think I call him an arrogant ass. I didn't even like Mick Dagger. But I do confess there was one in the band that I liked a lot. And who is that? Oh, Ronnie Wood. And? Ronnie Wood. Yeah, and? And what happened? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> okay. I had to ask. Why? <laughs> You're a woman. <laughs> no, I, I think that... Uh, that's the fun of the play, is my poking such fun 
at all this celebrity nonsense and, and the beauty being the, the price of admission that uh, beauty was required <laughs> and, and all, you know, the nonsense about our feminist roles. And, and at one point I get the audience to just stand up and shout. <laughs> at twice I get them to stand up and shout one sort of obscenities and the next time the best words in the world. But I, I, I love the, the fact that... Uh, I was able to get the help of a, 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 a younger team because I'm like 70 and, my, and well, my producer's 10 years younger and then the director's in her 40s and the writer's in her 40s. So it's young, it's exciting, it's looking at, at feminism and at culture and everything from from a younger perspective, which has been fun for me too. That was the Prime Minister's mother, Margaret Trudeau. She takes to the stage in Toronto with her one-woman show next week. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Paul Thomas, Faz Kazi, and Justin Eacock. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.